podcast ain't played nobody, Bill and Godfrey. Uh, Godfrey, I, I came I came out of the political closet last night. Um, felt good. Lost 200 followers immediately. Like, within 10 minutes. It was pretty spectacular, really. Wow. Um, woke up this morning. Uh, you know, now that people, you know, saw that side, you know, got a lot of support, got a lot of hate. Uh, this morning, though, somebody, I, I slept in for me till about, what, 5.45 or so. Uh, after about three, three and a half hours sleep, within an hour of being up, I got two people uh, in, in my notifications basically saying, please tell me that you're recording a PAPN today. I really need it. Um, so I will just say thank you. We're saving the day. And, and I love you guys. And I kind of needed it too. So we're going to talk football. We're going to talk a lot of football. Um, I think that the diabolical uh, nature of college football is that they were able to slide out a, a playoff ranking on Tuesday night I think they probably would have wished it was actually maybe maybe because of the election stuff no one noticed the the I would say mea culpa re-ranking of uh, of the college football playoff we got a little some of y'all got a little salty last week because we were too mainstream headline (laughs) I like that that's that's against the brand type but um it will always be something that's fascinating to us because Bill Bill, especially because of the work that you do, I think you hate it on a fundamental level more than I do. You think that's fair to say? Uh, possibly, yeah. I mean, I think that's fair because I don't have. It's not like I've I've tried to do some of the stuff that you've done in terms of changing the way that people perceive football. I just write about the madness. Uh, but here, let's back up real fast before we get into the rankings of everything else and a lot of reader questions. I've been remiss in using our show intro. So welcome to Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. <laughs> this is a college football marriage of numbers and words. Uh, my co-host is the robot, Bill Connolly, because he slept in until 545. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system. He's a proprietor of SB Nation's Football Study Hall. He's the author of the forthcoming book, 50 Best College Football Teams of All Time. My name is Stephen Godfrey, and um, one time I made Jackie Sherrill mad in an elevator. That's about all I've got in terms of credentials. Um, Bill, were Godfrey. you happy? Were you, were you, had you, do you feel atonement for Washington? Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I did not even look at the rankings till this morning. but um, I got the email. Uh, so last week I watched the whole um, dog and pony that ESPN puts on while muted, um, <laughs> I think to the tunes of maybe like a Paw Patrol on the other screen. But I watched mainly just to see the breakdown because, like, we, we've talked about that f- kind of 5 through 12 nebulous world is far more interesting at this point. But I did none of that last night for obvious reasons. I was distracted by everything else that was going on. I just got the official email, the press email sent to my work account. Oh, um, this feels right. It feels good. Yeah. I'm going to run. Through, I, I, I'm going to go 15 up real fast. 15 okay. Utah, 14 VTech, 13 Oklahoma State, 12 America's team. 11, Oklahoma, Penn State at 10. Uh, I do want to talk about that real fast, uh, but I'll finish the but Penn State 10, Auburn 9, A&M drops to 8, Wisconsin 7, Louisville 6, Ohio State 5, and then Washington, Michigan, Clemson, and Bama, it's a, which is, if I probably had to seed them, I would probably, I would want Washington higher than Clemson. I think Clemson is my four right now, but whatever. Uh, at least it's the right four teams for the moment. Right. Yeah, so, uh, and I saw, I did see, uh, because I was watching Twitter a little bit, I did see Mandel, uh, Stuart Mandel, our friend, Stuart Mandel, getting a little annoyed with um, 
basically with changing criteria. And, and he had a point because, uh, as he put it, you know, as we kind of talked about this on Sunday, if the committee put A&M ahead of Washington last week, it really wouldn't have made sense unless they put Ohio State in front of Washington this week. Yeah. When you look at, you know, resume and blah, 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 blah. Um, so yeah, the fact well, put, that they did belong, put, put on your cave diving hat there, Bill, and let's drop all the way down to number 24 where five and three LSU sits behind <laughs> Washington State, um, our G5 Darlings, Boise and Western Michigan and a crappy Southern Cal team. Hey, you know what's funny about Southern Cal, Bill? They have three losses. LSU has three losses. Um, but LSU held serve and did pretty much everything that they were capable of, plus yeah. working on a lot of steam, emotion, adrenaline, and a coaching change, uh, and lost by 10 at home, but only allowed 10 at home to Alabama. <laughs> hey, what happened in week one? Oh, that's right. Southern Cal got their ass drug by that same Bama team. Yeah. Um, no, that's the part that, you know, the top of the rankings make perfect sense. Yeah. The fact that A&M only dropped to four, or dropped from four to eight, I should say, uh, was crazy, and the fact that LSU that, dropped more that than Collie, Nebraska did. That Collie, that Collie, that's that that damn Collie in College Station has some sort of incredibly incriminating photos. Of Kirby Hillcut. <laughs> but regardless, something, what what this basically did, let me back to my. Uh, what this basically did was it proved that once more we we get this every year the week to week rankings are just dumb it's just dumb because you're going to end up using a different criteria for every single team on the list and you end up basically using what looks to be inconsistent criteria because that is there are you can't do much with nine games and so we are you know the fact that they're being asked to do this and i'm sure they don't mind they get to watch a lot of they get to travel a lot and you know feel really important but um the fact that they're asked to do this, it's just, it, it is an exercise in failure. They're always going to fail because there's no way to succeed in ranking teams and then re-ranking them every single week without doing something that looks weird. Uh, it does look weird. It looks weird in a couple different spots. Uh, the broad scale question I have for you, and I know you don't like to be called a statistician, but you, you invented a set of analytics and I have frequently overdrawn my checking account at 35 years old. So um, you get to be the expert here. You have 12-game data sets at the end of a season, sometimes 13 games, right? Yeah. Hence the big – Well, fi- up to 15 now, but yeah. Right. But uh, no, what I'm saying – the end of a regular season, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's why obviously the Big 12 was fetishizing that, that extra data point. But yeah. you have this 12-game set of information for each candidate. And we'd like to think, very naively, that it's the same – that that information set of 12 data points is repre- is equally representative of a team's worth across. And it's really not because of scheduling, because of regional weirdness, because of the way conferences are structured, right? So what I'm trying to say is, is it's safe to assume that all the 12 data points that each team has, they're not, they don't equally represent the, the candidates, okay? You can schedule light, right? That's the whole Baylor argument of two years ago. You can schedule brutally and have five losses for it. But we still, we, we've, we've grown to lie to ourselves that at least when you talk about uh, playoff candidacy or bowl candidacy or whatever the structure may be, that at the end of the season you feel better because you look at the resume, big finger quotes as a whole. It's even dumber and it's even stranger and it's even harder to do that when you have six data points or eight data points or nine data points because these games are, some of these games are so massively impactful and some of them are not. Yeah, and so when you go week to week, you you still have some schools on here 
with backloaded stretch runs coming up. Yeah. You know, how high was Baylor uh, two, you know, two weeks ago? Right. I know that there was, we've only had two playoff rankings, but that, that's one example just off the top of my head. There, there are programs here, and everything is very different. And so it, they've, here's what I'm getting at without having the grace of your numbers or the, or the analytical <laughs> mind to explain it. This is never going to work. No. And it's always going to have to be graded in a vacuum. And so I, I feel like we're becoming redundant every week and just kind of pointing out the, 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 hey, look how stupid this is stuff. But they keep doing it, and they're going to do it. They love it. You know, outside of presidential elections, normally when you can fill a Tuesday night in with extra content and, you know, basically turn it into a reality show, yeah, ESPN is <laughs> going to do that every time. They are the Machiavellian hand, not even really behind the scenes. They, they control this thing. They love it. It's an engine for ratings for them. So this isn't going away anytime soon. Yeah. I don't know how you make this smarter, though, because I'll give the BCS credit. It was bad, but they would try every year, right? <laughs> they would screw with it every year as a response to the consumer. How do you screw with a, a committee? I don't understand yeah. what they can do different next year. I mean, you can say we're going to emphasize different things or whatever, but I mean, it, it is no. I, and I, by the way, uh, our own Bud Elliott made a very, very good point this morning in our in our Slack room um, that ESPN strength of record rating, which again I don't hate because I, it serves a specific purpose. Uh, they, that's basically what the playoff rankings are. Um, you look at the here. Here's a here's a comparison of the state of the college football playoff rankings and playoff uh, the the strength of record rankings. Um, let's see where is it. Make sure I have it on the right thing. All right, so strength of record number one in the playoff rankings, Alabama. Uh, also number one in in uh, strength of record. Clemson is number two in both. Washington is number three in both. Uh, sorry, sorry, Michigan's number three in both. Washington's number four in both. Uh, Ohio State's number five in both. Wisconsin is uh, actually sixth in strength of record, uh, but seventh, uh, you know, flip them in Louisville. Texas, uh, A&M, eighth in both. Auburn, ninth in both. What's the point of having a committee? Let's just use strength of record. Um, we're spending a whole lot of money to send these people to see the, watch the games and then basically say what ESPN says. So let's just save some money. Um, and again, strength of record has a specific purpose. It, we cannot ignore quality. Um, margin of victory, things like that that actually matter beyond did you win, yes, no. If Boise doesn't lose to Wyoming, and that's easier than saying if Houston doesn't lose because they've dropped two, but if Boise doesn't lose to Wyoming, I'm going to go ahead and say 14 to 17 on this poll. Yeah. At best. They might put them, they might put an undefeated Boise ahead of so let's just assume, since Wyoming is not involved in this in this information here, an undefeated Boise might get as high as being underneath Oklahoma State. So I think they might be slotted 14th. Yeah. By the way, uh, the first place that the committee varied from strength of record, Western Michigan's 11th in strength of record and 21st in the playoff rankings. That's the story. Screw right the committee. There. Screw the committee. I mean, that's the story to me. Is is that this is perception bias is going to get bigger and uglier and. And I know a lot of you are out there who are, I don't know, uh, Oklahoma and, and, and Bama and, you know, USC brand name fans. And, and you, and, and you want to throw your hands up because this is the argument I get because I live in SEC country is that, well, I don't care. Who cares? Godfrey, are you going to sit here and tell me that 
you know, an undefeated Western Michigan team belongs in the playoff if it's only four teams. I'm fine with a playoff that's only involving the Power Five plus logical candidates. Yeah. And what logical candidates is is a whole another rabbit hole. <laughs> but, but say it. Don't yeah. lie. And that's what they're doing. They've done it from the beginning because they hold a lot of contracts with a lot of these mid-majors. And the money gets distributed a certain way and the money goes in a certain way and there's representation. There's like a meager amount of representation from the mid-majors. But the first thing I'm going to do when I get the chance is call Jeff Bauer. Jeff yeah. Bauer, if you don't know, if you're too young... He was one of the early engineers of like how to be a G5 before like G5 and P5 existed. When he was the head coach at Southern Miss, he created a, a, a functional um, uh, Walmart brand, you know, a cheap-ass war machine, and that's what Southern Miss was. They would go and play really good teams like Cal, and they would play really good teams like Nebraska, and they would play anybody they possibly could, and they would either barely lose or, or whip your ass. And if you went to Hattiesburg, you were even stupider. Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated to know what he thinks of like the worth of a Boise or Western Michigan. Um, this is more than, oh, we like this particular program or this particular coach or this whatever. Yeah, there's biases inherent and everything. I'm just, I've, I've become, I've fetishized for the past couple of years the concept of an undefeated good G5 being able to challenge this theory. And we just haven't yeah. had it yet. And I don't know no. if we will, but... It just no, it has to be. It has to be like Houston. That yeah. that was the the model where you do really really well one year, and then the next year you have a couple of power conference teams on there. That's the only way. It has to. It's a two or three year process for uh, for a really good mid major to make it uh, to have any chance you know, whatsoever. And maybe people don't care. Maybe maybe I'm grossly overestimating this, but it's just people care just not enough. The fake democracy aspect of what of what they project is what bothers me the most. Like okay, yeah. so even this year, like. I'm working on a South Florida thing right now, so I'm looking at, you know, let's say they finish the season at 10-2 and two, and they come in red hot next year and they keep Tiger because there's not a lot of movement on the coaching circle right now. They're, yeah, they're, their non-conference isn't going to get it done yeah. because they have San Jose State, Stony Brook, Illinois, and UMass. So, oh. by the way, that is, oh, God. That is, that is awful. Um, good God. I need to call the athletic director. Um I don't know how many chances you're going to get for this system, and and I just I'm I'm just curious how long people are going to be complying in this. Yeah, they don't. No, have, I, and and the problem is when I press people like Brian Harson, or I press people like Mike Oresco, they always have to fall back to well, you know, we didn't have an undefeated team in there, so we can't say much, right? So that's right. why it's just it's so frustrating because I I'm just to hell with that. Just tell me what you think an undefeated Boise would do. Yeah, I, I do think it is very revealing that the biggest shifts from strength of record to the playoff rankings were A, uh, Oklahoma is six spots higher in the rankings and Oklahoma State is 14 spots higher in the, in the playoff rankings than strength of record. So they boosted the, Big 12, the best Big 12 teams. And then, yeah, they completely uh, destroyed Western Michigan uh, despite what strength of record told them. So uh, I think that... That's everything. That, that tells you everything. We don't really get much of a measurement either because of the way the bowls are structured. Okay, yeah. so we can't really apply, what I would like to see to apply this logic can't happen, which is at the end of the year, they're going to... Ooh. So who is it right now that's leading? It's Western Michigan, right? The highest yeah. ranked G5? Yeah, yeah, barely over Boise, but yeah. Okay, so let's say that the center holds there. Western Michigan goes undefeated, and they get to play. I think Auburn I've seen them slotted in the Cotton Bowl. And it, yeah. it doesn't matter who they play, really. Right, yeah. 
But what I need is like two or three more of those against the teams that are floating between like eight and fifteen in this ranking right now. Right, and that's and, and, and what's sad though. All their bowl tie-ins are so bad. Right, but what's sad about that is two years ago Boise State won. Last year Houston won and beat a, a you know Boise two State years beat ago. Arizona so bad that Arizona hired their defensive coordinator <laughs> because of that game, and that's what their head coach told me on the record. Yeah, they beat them on offense. Yeah, um, but uh, and even if Arizona really wasn't that good, and they weren't, Florida State was good last year, and Houston uh, played Houston's game and whooped them. And, it doesn't. You know. you know what? The sad thing is that it doesn't matter. Is because I, I living as close as I do to Tuscaloosa and knowing as many Alabama fans, both you know, degree holding normal human beings and other. <laughs> uh, they will explain away that Utah loss in the Sugar Bowl faster than you can believe. Oh yeah. Well, and there's no question. Well, Arizona, I would beg to differ about what I'm about to say, but there's no question that Houston had a hell of a lot more to play for than Florida State did last year. Um, but I don't so, care. That's still no. Matters. You still they still won. What more are you going to ask them to do? They you got won. Helmets and pads on, and someone's keeping score. So all the crap and all the cliche that we hear about compete every day and every other every other maxim and axiom that's just driven into the ground. It counted. I don't care. I know they were banged up. Like Florida State was banged up last year, but it still counts. We're still allowed to use it as a as yep. a data point. Yeah, I'm going to start ironically using data point as much as possible as we get through December. So, hey, be careful, man. I apologize, so, Bill. Let's get the hell out of here. Um, I don't know how uh, we can pivot out of this. Um, uh, it, give me this. Okay. Give me this on bowl projections. Jason Kirk does it, does a yeoman's work in trying to suss out what bowl projections are going to be <laughs> on a week-to-week basis, and he does this starting in week one, which is just a fool's errand. But um, I'm trying to find a silver lining this year because I do think – I think we're looking at the playoff teams. I'm not saying Ohio State doesn't have a chance. They have a huge chance. I think that Clemson is probably going to be okay right now based off of the fact that it's going to take a miracle – for they have, what, two conference games left that they would both have to drop for Louisville to get back in and then get to the conference title game themselves. And I like the way that Clemson matches up against Virginia Tech. So as much as I think Clemson is the less least of those four teams, uh, I think we're sort of looking at what we've got right now. Yeah, well, um, and if, I, I, if you had to pick a Michigan-Ohio State winner right now, I would, I mean, I would probably take Michigan. It's in, no, it's in Columbus. Yeah, it's in Columbus, and you never – Ohio State proved once again last Saturday. You abs- you know they've got those bullets in the chamber to do what yes. they did last week. Yes. Uh, you never know when they're going to use them. Maybe they've used them all now. But, um, yeah, uh, the piece I wrote yesterday morning, which feels like about a month ago now. Um, no kidding. I, I basically you know, kind of walked through the, pro- the probabilities of the top teams and everything, and it really is at this point yeah, – the odds of all four undefeated teams winning out are still pretty low, um, you know, just because this is college football. But the odds of the, of one or two of those four losing out and then Louisville and Ohio State being incapable of taking advantage, like the only way this gets weird is if Wisconsin beats Michigan or Ohio State and leaps Louisville, which we think, well, ba- based on quote-unquote strength of record and whatnot, they could. Uh, that would be an outrage. <laughs> Uh, that would be so freaking appalling, but yeah, you're basically, that's, that's about the only scenario that and Auburn beating Alabama and sneaking in, but that's, that's really, I think all we're looking at in terms of, uh, usurpers to the top six, 
Uh, it really does seem like the it, it's hard to imagine more than two of the top six losing a game now. It's on the table, and and maybe we're we're do a bunch of weirdness instead of just near weirdness. But it's it, the odds aren't great right now. Um, I'm fine with those four teams in the playoffs. By the way, the whole road of the playoffs goes to the Big Ten now. In terms of scenarios that upend things, and, and and I got questions. I got multiple questions this week about having an anti-SEC bias. So let's let that sink in for a second, <laughs> and then pivot and say that the road to this playoff, in terms of narratives and directions it can go, can't you, you can't drive anywhere on that road. This metaphor is losing a road uh, without talking about Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan, somewhere being involved between the game on Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving, and then that, that conference title game. Yeah. Um, Really, that that really is the conversation because I think I mean, A&M doesn't have a quarterback right now. I think they're going to take another loss. Auburn still has to play Alabama. That's going to suss itself out. Uh, I mean, yeah, is there potential for chaos here? Absolutely. But, um, I mean, on top of that, by the way, you have a Penn State team that's that's basically out of the running. Uh, not Really not so much because of the two losses, just because of who's ahead of them in that division. Um, by the way, how many people are going to start talking about realigning the divisions in the Big Ten in the offseason? That's going to be a thing. If you have a 10-2 Penn State team right, and two teams, that one of which is almost guaranteed a playoff spot, barring total chaos, yeah, that's, that's going to become a thing. It, they're going to start talking about the old Big 12 division. I, um, well, I mean, first of all, get in line behind the SEC. But uh, I'm all for that because that gives me another chance to pimp the pods idea that worked so much better than I thought it would when we actually laid it out this offseason. I just think the only, your only issue with the pods it's a hell of a lot easier to sell the pods in the Big Ten than it is in the SEC. I really, though, only about two teams. Because they're too stupid. Well, okay, well, yes. But um, I, I was actually, I was very skeptical when we drew all that out, when I drew all that out. Like, um, I was very skeptical about using it in the SEC until I saw that really only, like, who was it? Tennessee and LSU had more than three really kind of natural teams that they would prefer to play every year. Um Otherwise, really, it was kind of overblown, and most teams can be uh, satiated in three steps. So, um, like that, made me feel pretty good about this. Now, again, we're talking about something that doesn't that isn't actually on the table for anybody, even if it should be. Well, the realignment um, thing with the Big Ten is a little bit different in that they've they've realigned right. so many times now that no one is there are no sacred cows other than. Maybe just a handful. I mean, and hey, they're the innovators. They're that, the leaders they, of the yeah, legends. Exactly. And that, if that noise comes from places like Nebraska and Penn State who aren't married to any kind of configuration, right? And Wisconsin, for that matter. Maryland um, Rutgers. I mean, Colorado's, Colorado's Wisconsin fans, by the way. I mean, if there's, I'm trying to think if there's a game on Wisconsin schedule they absolutely have to have right now, it's probably thumping Minnesota every year, which they're going to do regardless. Like, they're not going to take that game. And they would, yeah, they would always be paired with Minnesota anyway. So, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think that it's not going to happen. I mean, I'll call, I tell you what, Bill, I'm going to do this for you, buddy. I'm going to get an interview with Delaney on some other stuff, and then I'm just gonna, I'm going to slide that across the table. Okay. All like, right. that, you know that scene in the movie where they're like, write down the figure you. Write down the number you want, right? And you never know the number you slide across. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to slide this pod thing across the table to him. And he's going to be like, what? What blog are you from? Why are you, why are you here? Are you, I, I can give you a, a, one of my business cards to give him, too, if he wants more I'll just I'll staple that on. We'll just do it out in crayon, though. This is a great <laughs> segment. Um, uh, Kirk's projections right now, um, exactly what you would expect for the playoff. And then I just want, con- I want good content from the New York yeah. Six Bowls. 
Can I just get some good content? And right now, I'm not in love with any of this content. Oh, no, not at all. So as it stands right now, Kirk's doing his best to project this, is that if we had all this stuff happen tomorrow, the cotton would be Western Michigan and Auburn. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I have Wisconsin. Which one are you? Oh, wait. Am I looking at a week old? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at November 6th. Uh-oh. I got it, I got it, I got it. Send it your way. I tell you what. We could just, we could just use the week, a week ago. Let me say this before I click this. Is They're not any better. Is it better or worse than, than Western Michigan-Auburn? Should I just stay with Western Michigan-Auburn? It's Western Michigan-Wisconsin, oh, so... God. Okay, here we go. Basically the same. So Kirk's They're the same team. Uh, Western Michigan-Wisconsin. No, I don't want to watch that. Ohio State and Utah, I don't want to watch no. that. What a terrible Rose Bowl. Um, <laughs> can we put Colorado in there? Well, I, I, I assume he's... He, the way he did this was that Colorado or Utah wins the South instead of Colorado. Um, so if Colorado beats Utah in two weeks, there you go. Uh, that would also be a bad game, by the way, because Ohio State would probably – it generally tends to be motivated for those games, and they would probably kill Colorado, but that's fine. Andy Samberg voice that I can't get to. Murder! Uh, Oklahoma and Auburn and the Sugar. Nope. No, thank you. Um, and then – Louisville-Penn State, though. Louisville-Penn State is the only – but I would rather see the surging program. I would rather see Penn State, Oklahoma, and Louisville – Oh, my God. Give me Louisville and Auburn. I just ooh, fixed it. Ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just fixed the whole problem. No, no, no. We can't have Louisville Auburn because Auburn, the SEC team, is is locked into the Sugar Bowl, and the Big Twelve team oh. is locked into the Sugar Bowl. So there you go. Well, no way. The Orange, but the Orange Bowl rep can be a, the the second Orange Bowl rep can be from one of three places: Notre Dame, or the Big Ten, or the SEC. So it's possible. I think you'd basically be juggling Louisville, Wisconsin, and Western Michigan, Penn State, or. Louisville, Penn State, and Western Michigan, Wisconsin. Y'all just add us your yeah. ideal New Year's Six Bowls, and, and they have to be within the realm of logic. Don't. don't I, I now want uh, Utah and Wisconsin to both lose some games. Yeah, I do too. Well, they will. Um, well, yeah, no, they definitely will. You know what, that, this can happen. When you scroll down and look at the rest of the bowl projections, eh, eh, just give me something good at the end, although it would be really funny to watch a Texas-Kentucky Liberty Bowl. I might go to that. <laughs> Well, yeah, last time, or a couple times ago, back in 04, when I didn't have a Missouri Bowl game to go to, we went to the Liberty Bowl. Hey, what what does it say about the, my property taxes when the bowl down the street from my house is Indiana and South Carolina? Oh. Shout out to Will Muschamp, though. USF Georgia, that's kind of weird. USF Georgia has potential, I guess. Um, I guess. Yeah, Florida State, Tennessee would be interesting, I guess. Um, oh, God, these are terrible. Yeah, that's Come what on, I'm saying. We got, it. We got, we got problems. We got to fix them. Uh, I'm down for an Army TCU Cactus Bowl. I'm down with Vanderbilt and Northwestern getting stuck together. Syracuse stomping Ole Miss and Shreveport would be fantastic. Good God. Um, Kansas State and Navy, that – Okay. I don't have any living grandfathers, but I would just want to find a grandfather to watch. <laughs> um, Troy, well, Louis, leading off with Troy, Louisiana Tech, though, is just – I'm kissing my fingers right here. That would be spectacular. Could I convince – the problem is my our bosses listen to this podcast. <laughs> now they already know where I'm going. Could I convince the bosses to send me to a potato bowl with Wyoming in it? You think it's possible? They're not listening. Um, They're busy. Back in our Could I have a in our family in Idaho. Back in our infant SB Nation stages, you would have absolutely been able to go to that game. <laughs> Before we became a real company, that didn't Before we kind of became a real company, yeah. <laughs> um. Boise State and Stanford would actually be pretty cool to watch. So that's the Las Vegas Bowl on December 17th. 
Um, uh, for a lot of weird reasons, Georgia Southern UCF would be interesting in the Cure Bowl. Oh, man, I bet that sucks for the Cure Bowl because they would get a home team. I don't want that. Contrary to what anybody thinks, you don't really want a home team unless it's USC in the Rose Bowl. I don't think there's <laughs> any other exception. Um, unless it's some weird year where, like, SMU could somehow make the cotton. But honestly, there aren't enough S- there aren't enough SMU walk-ups for people to get excited about that either. Where's my getting drunk bowl? That's a pretty good getting drunk bowl. I'm sorry, That's by the way, that's Christmas Eve. Um, Southern Miss in Hawaii. I'd watch that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Southern Miss needs to stop messing around. They're kind of falling apart, but... Um... Well, no, I mean, overachieving. I mean, a new coach or interim coach, emo, um, we need to create the emotional. It's like our reverse Ewing. Or no, I guess it's sort of tantamount to the Ewing theory, not knowing a ton about the NBA. Emotional new coach bounce, right? Under And, and we'll define it out where the coach has to come in under weird circumstances, which Jay Hobson was just a coaching hire, but he came in so late in that cycle. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. We need to go be the OC for the Bucks. Um because it was like, I mean, it was a, it was a hair from signing day. Signing day, yeah. People down in Mississippi were at, like calling me, and I was talking to folks about that, and just thinking it was a total disaster for that program. Um, probably the grossest thing on here might be, well, no, I was about to say Pitt and Maryland, but at least I could watch. Like, <laughs> I like Pitt's offense, so. And Maryland has a good running back too. So, okay, here, so here's your good stretch. <laughs> we're, we're spending an entire segment talking about bowls that don't exist yet, but. Uh, well, no, I your, want people your best... to realize. How many things need to happen for things to get better? So between the 23rd and 26th uh, on this list, you get Tulsa Akron in the Bahamas Bowl, which t- Tulsa in the Bahamas Bowl is, I mean, that's there is nothing more perfect than that because that will be 59-56 one way or the other, even that's if Akron's not actually very good. Yeah, so they can do whatever they want. Uh, like can't, and uh, Ooh, Phil Montgomery Terry might Bowden. go fishing. you got Terry Bowden in a warm climate. And you've got Phil Montgomery, who might just be more interested to go fishing. Um, anyway, so you've got Tulsa Akron. You've got Kansas State Army, and you've got Toledo, Arkansas on the 23rd. That's oh, pretty Kansas great. Navy. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, 24th, you get Southern Miss Hawaii. 26th, other than Vandy Northwestern, you get Temple Old Dominion, which uh, Old Dominion is actually fun, uh, and I would look forward to actually watching them. Even if Temple would probably kill them. And Syracuse Old Miss. Um, Gross. Granted... We don't know who's quarterbacking Ole Miss. Might be Shea Patterson, who could use that as a coming out party because Syracuse's defense is terrible. But Syracuse is going to score on Ole Miss, too. Nice resume to transfer with when NCAA sanctions come. There you go. So, so even if Ole Miss does uh, kill Syracuse in that game, that's fun. And so you get the, there's your stretch. There's your stretch of, of a potentially interesting game. North Carolina, West Virginia, by the way, also. Oh, back up, back up, back up. I'm sorry, Bill. I got a call. I'm, in what universe right now is Syracuse, is Syracuse getting killed by Ole Miss? Oh, I thought that's what you said a second ago in Shreveport. Did you say the opposite? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I don't trust that I would either. Syracuse has looked good about twice this year. But <laughs> let, let, let's, let me throw it. Hang on. Let me go find one second here and create a sound effect for it. Okay, alumni hat. You ready? There is nothing that they hate more in Oxford than going to Shreveport for a bowl game. They would rather not go to a bowl game. So that gives you an idea of where the mood of the program would be. So it would be a year removed from the sugar. So that's so that shows you how much fan demand there will be to go down there. The team itself is possibly is probably likely facing some sort of NCAA reprimand. Recruiting is in the toilet, so of course Freeze is gonna try and throw some Hail Mary, legal or not, into recruiting during that time. They're not gonna focus on that game at all. Syracuse is going to say, hey, look, first year, still trying to create proof of concept, still trying to re-energize a fan base that's been down for, like, what, a decade plus post-McNabb? 
Okay? So they're going to come in and say, let's beat an SEC opponent and use that in our, in our off-season marketing and word of mouth and, and just energy campaign. They're going to come in and win that game by 17 points. Okay. So let me ask you this. Yes. Um, Shea Patterson, if they do indeed tear his red shirt off, and I realize it probably doesn't matter because he, if he's good enough, he'll go pro in, after three years no matter what or, you know, after transferring. Um, but the whole idea here is that, you know, you – if you're not really caring about a bowl bid this year, why would you even tear his red shirt off? I mean, unless it really is just that they didn't need him and now they do. And who cares? Cause he's gone in three years anyway. But um, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, I think that they're trying to save face right now because they don't want to, they don't want to lose out to end the season. They still have, look, your in-state rival who you were infinitely better than allegedly for the past, however, what, you know, six, nine, 12 months is suddenly gaining steam again, right? So that's in their heads. Also, State's gaining steam by in running the ball. So that's that's kind of terrifying for them because that, that's where they're absolutely the weakest at right now. And I think they are – I think there's some preemptive PR going on with what's about to happen in the offseason. Okay. Shout out to everyone from alma mater who listens because they know me because they are going to be super pissed when they get done listening to this. <laughs> um, so – to switch. Can we get a few questions and get the hell out of here? Well, uh, actually, we got to do one thing that is very on brand um, because I just mentioned Tulsa and um, we've, well, and we mentioned Navy. So um, the AAC standings are fascinating right now. They're pretty, uh, they're pretty murky. And I, I didn't even completely realize this. I realized this morning when we were chatting before the show, like I didn't, I, I kind of know who's doing well, but I didn't have the standings in my head necessarily. Way, y'all think we don't get on here and like we hadn't talked to each other in a couple of days. And the first thing we do is check the AAC standings together. Then you don't know this show. That's right. You, you said you needed PAPN in your life today. This is as PAPN as it gets. Let's break down the uh, AAC standings real fast. So, <laughs> first place you have Tulsa in the West. So yeah, um, yeah. So there's a tie. There's a, there's a tie in both divisions. At four and one, you have Tulsa and Navy, and then in the East, at five and one, you have Temple, and four and one, you have USF. But Temple has a tiebreaker there, and yep. Tulsa and Navy at four and one are playing each other this weekend. Yeah, and see, in my head, I knew that you know, I, I knew that obviously Houston had lost a couple of times, and I knew that Memphis has been really kind of bipolar. I knew the Navy had only lost once. I forgot about Tulsa, kind of. I knew they were doing better this year. Still kind of forgot about them. Uh, they play at Navy this weekend, uh, which, I mean, whatever whatever hopes that a an AAC team has of getting that G5 slot if, like, Western Michigan loses and, and they don't like San Diego State or whatever, kind of needs a two-loss either Tulsa, Navy, what, Tulsa, Navy, Houston, or USF. Uh-huh. Uh, but Tulsa's kind of still on the board. If they went out, they're eleven and two. Granted, I mean, there's what? What would their best win be uh, since they lost to Houston? Since they they blew that game late, if I remember right. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They had the the fumble return and all that. They they don't really have a marquee win, and they got crushed by Ohio State. So maybe that's not the best uh, G five kind of resume. But they're still looking at a possibility of finishing eleven and two, basically having come all the way back from suddenly falling apart a couple of years ago. Uh, and I mean, Phil Montgomery. Then what? You know, Baylor. I guess will have probably made their hire by January. They're not going to hire and, Phil Montgomery. And I was going to say, and he might still he might be too close to Bryles. I exactly. guess exactly. They're 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 gonna, they're going to have to get away from that. It's it has absolutely nothing against Phil Montgomery and the job that he's done at Tulsa. 
Let me let me ask you this, dude. Though it makes perfect sense that they need to get away from Bryles. Do they know they need to get away from Bryles? Yes, because the uh, board of regents right now is locked in a war with Bryles, and I think Montgomery and some of his guys. I, I don't know if all parties involved are going to be receptive to that. Okay, I'm talking about even on his side. Also, if if you're Montgomery, you're still you're still pretty young in terms of your Tulsa tenure. Um, they can get better. They can peak probably next year or maybe even the year after, and he can hang tight for a while. That actually brings up an interesting subject for me is Tulsa, Navy, Houston, Temple, USF, UCF. Okay, so the top six teams in each division. Hot young coaches, nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. Ken Niamatonolo, I know people think he's going to be at Navy forever. He just signed with a new agency this week. He's not going to be at Navy forever, okay? He's going to eventually make the Paul Johnson move. I don't know where that's going to be. It won't be to Georgia Tech, but uh, it's not like Johnson's going to retire and they're going to plug in another option guy. I really don't see that happening. But those six teams, to Mike Oresco's delight, may all hold their coaches this year. Now, it's a little early to talk about Frost. I know that people want to talk about Oregon, and that sort of makes sense in a way, but maybe that's a, a longer topic. And I think as we get closer to what I... What I feel, that's the word I'm going to use here because I don't want anyone to parse what I'm saying right now. What I feel to be the end of the Mark Alfred era at Oregon, um, Frost is not ready for prime time yet, but we just don't know how Oregon functions because of the fact that they don't really fire coaches. So let's throw him out for a second because he's a first year. Willie Taggart, Matt Rule, Montgomery, Niamatanolo, and, and of course Tom Herman. I don't know where any of these guys are going right now. So USC looks like they're going to hold for at least a year. All right. Now, that thing could play itself back out September 2017. Probably mark your calendars, okay? Let's be right. honest. If they, if they have something in Darnold, though, they've got – they might ride that. They might yeah. be okay for it's a little possible. Oh, it's possible, but it's also USC, so they, they've got to manufacture something to keep us all unnecessarily attuned to them. Um, <laughs> so you've got these coaches, and, and there's no logical jumping off point. This is, – is this a little bit of equity for Resco to use? It's a little bit. I don't know how you turn having hot coaches with nowhere to go for the moment into actually making more money off of your revenue deal. Because, again, the biggest difference, they've started trying to slide like this concept of power six. It was on someone's helmet last week. I think it was UConn's helmet, maybe. We had a story on an SB Nation. I should read my own product more often. But Oresco, he does it with me in interviews, and I usually kind of throw it out unless I'm talking about it specifically because I disagree with him. I love Oresco. I think he's a great guy. He's a good source, and he's a good, he's a good interview, but he's, uh, I disagree with him in the fact that there's a power six right now because as bad as things are in the Big 12, Iowa State makes something in the neighborhood of like between 20 and $30 million a year off of television rights. And each school in the, in the um, AAC makes less than $2 million a year on television. So regardless of how they're playing on the field, or the fact that you, you, UCF beat Baylor a couple years ago, which is what Mike wants to kind of hang his hat on, or the fact that UConn and it used won to beat State. That's great. And you know what? UConn won that basketball tournament. It doesn't matter. It's not. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, think, I don't think team. he would even dispute the money idea, but just the. No, you know, they do. Well, no, they have to. They have to dispute the money idea. That's optics, that's PR. Well, you but I mean, the, you can't. Sometimes you stand in the face of facts to try and preserve your self worth. Well, what I'm saying is, I mean, you can't, the, the, the figures are what they are, but what you can do is basically say, we don't care, we're good, we're, we're as good as the Big 12 anyway, and they, they are almost right. Um, they're not right. Big 12 is still better, but now's your chance to make that claim because the Big 12 is a, jam, a giant damn mess. Are you talking about a football no. right now? Yes. Oh, I'll take those top six. Let's roll. <laughs> 
So, but you I mean, do that? Yeah, yeah. make people feel better uh, post-election. Drop them right now. Give me six and six. <laughs> Tulsa, Navy, Houston, Temple, USF, UCF. UCF being the six. Let's go with. I'm not even going to go by rankings. I'm going to go with my gut here. So let's say USF, Houston. And you're going to go on a. You're going to go with your gut on a podcast with me. God. Sorry, buddy. Just line them up, or line them up. I don't care. Line them up by standings. I'm going to say that. Right. The, I'm going to say that the AAC wins at least three of those games. All right. So here uh, I'm doing this on the fly, but uh, there's so one. Vamp, for, vamp for a second. I'll be ready in five seconds. I got one Oklahoma State. I'll vamp while you get this set up, Bill. We we uh, I appreciate everybody listens to the show absolutely, and I have, I have no idea why most of you do. It's a very strange concept to me, but. Um, we had one person who, and this is usually the case with detractors, and you're not supposed to give them the attention that I'm giving them right now, but I found it humorous enough to share with people and maybe brighten your day. Uh, I got like a ping. I think Bill was on there too. There's a guy with an Oklahoma State avatar who had measured the amount of time that we spent talking about Oklahoma State on the previous long podcast, the, the midweek podcast, not the, not the recap to S&P Plus on Sundays. And he said something like unsubscribe. Or it was like, you talked about the Big 12 for three three-something minutes, unsubscribe. So, of course, I flip right back. Bill ignores that kind of stuff and takes the high road because he's also doing work and I'm not. And I shot back and said something to the fact of, great, thanks for listening, blocked. And then I blocked him. Um, <laughs> but what was funny was right before I did that, because I had a hunch, I clicked on his profile, he's literally going to every college football podcast he can find and measuring the amount of time spent talking about the Big 12. One of my two best friends in the world is a diehard Texas fan. He grew up in a town called Pflugerville, which is just outside of Austin. And we used to have these fierce debates, fierce debates years ago when we lived together during and after college um, about the, and I keep in mind, keep in mind the time that I'm talking about. So this is like 2002 to 2006 or seven of the Big 12 versus the SEC. Because it used to be a thing. And back then, you really couldn't talk about college football without first talking about the top of the Big 12 and the depth of the SEC. That's how it used to be. Like, the Florida, Oklahoma National Championship kind of personifies that. But now, I don't have anything for or against the, the conferences particularly, but I, I don't know how we could, uh, to me, and I, I guess to our listeners, because our listener base keeps growing, is, is, are the mid-majors not more interesting than a really, really bad conference that continues to make terrible decisions? Well, the other p- funny part about you know complaining I that we don't are you done are you done slotting our matchup? Yet? Yeah. So uh, first, like the, the the funny part about you know complaining that we don't talk about the Big Twelve enough. Um, we talk about it all the time. We talk about it all the time. We make fun of it all the time, but we do talk about it pretty frequently. Uh, all right. So I used F plus for this because on the F plus page of Football Outsiders, I put the conference in there, so it was easier than doing uh, my S and P. Plus, it's usually block. a little better. Okay. So now six versus six, Texas versus UCF. I'm gonna take probably take there. probably take a Texas, but it's it's not they're not that far away from each other this year. Okay. Uh, no, f- five versus five, bipolar Baylor, bipolar Memphis. Are we playing it this week? Yeah, I mean, if we're playing it this week, Memphis. Memphis. Uh, a, month, a month ago, probably Baylor. Okay, we're one and one. Uh, number four, four versus four, Oklahoma State versus Tulsa, which is fantastic. I'm gonna push. I'm, I'm probably going OSU on that one, but that's another shootout when, when that stuff happens. Put that game in Tulsa, and I'm, I'm, giving, Tulsa, I'm giving Tulsa like a one-score advantage. Okay. I'm not quite sure I can buy that, but it's close. It's relatively close. That's because you don't believe. <laughs> three versus three. Bipolar TCU versus our boy Taggart and the Bulls. That's a re- I mean, that's, to me, that's kind of home and home. Like, where is it? Yeah. Okay, keep going. 
Two versus two, West, West Virginia versus Temple. Temple of right now, that's almost dead even. Temple was not very good in September. They've been awesome for about the last month. One versus one. <laughs> uh, you can probably figure out who's left. Oklahoma versus Houston. Done. Which, again, now I would probably take Oklahoma, but we have a, a head-to-head result on that one, and it was not Oklahoma. Maddie, get off the furniture. Official dog, <laughs> official dog of podcasting played nobody thinks that just because we just proved a point about the American Athletic Conference that she can get on the furniture. Uh, so, okay, argument's over. <laughs> that is actually very, very, very close. So what are we talking about here? Some coin flips away from the Big 12 preserving its dignity? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say that um, a lot of, of those six games, Big 12 team might have a slight advantage um, in more than the AAC does, but uh, to use another election term, it's within the margin of error. No, that's, that, that's not another election term. That's the same one I used earlier. Never mind. <laughs> Uh, okay, Bill, um, let's go talk about this week yes. and the games that are actually scheduled. I know it's not okay. fun, though. I'm sorry. Do we have a name for this week? I don't. Uh, boring as hell week? I think we're pray- praying for chaos, whereas last week we, we could have used a little chaos. I think we're praying for chaos this week. I, you know, it, I mean, it was funny. Like, we were trying to help Bud find games for our little our confidence game pick them yeah and we ended up choosing two fcs games because there was just nothing obvious after um uh well after the two obvious ones uh, usc washington and the other crap so uh the, it's a lot of rubbernecking to slow down and look at the car wreck at, at 11 a.m and that's okay um, we thought that was going to be a game like Penn State and Indiana, but I definitely don't feel like that is anymore. I feel like Penn State... No, Indiana still... Uh, it, they'll still have a chance at home, but Penn yeah. State's looking really good. But I'm talking about some Kentucky at Tennessee. I'm oh, talking God. about some West Virginia at Texas. I'm talking about some South Carolina at Florida. That alone is really going to... I mean, that's going to take my mid-morning up. I'm going to maybe get, so, get me a sandwich, and I mean, that's... There's not a single piece of relevant information on, uh, you know, or a single piece of, of, of relevance in terms of the national title hunt, but. Right. And this is, this is, I, I you know, one of the reasons I, li- I like our podcast is, you know, yeah, from a playoff perspective, from a pick the top games perspective, yeah, there's really nothing to go on here, but it, th- lots of human drama. And a lot of us watch football because of that. Um, Lots of human drama, and and uh, the eleven o'clock games are basically full of that. Uh, you know, yeah. So I mean, that'll nothing, be fun. No, absolutely, nothing changes at the top. Um, I'm going to give a weirdness alert to two thirty and uh, and Auburn at Georgia. I'm yes, gonna get, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw weirdness on that. I'm not trying yeah. to hex Auburn or anything like that. I'm just uh, to me, it's mm, there's way too much assuredness on the on the quality of both of those teams, especially in the way that they match up. I don't. Um, I mean, it's not like we're suddenly going to breathe life into Georgia's skill positions, but at the same time, um, there's a danger in feeling this confident about Auburn. I know, and at Georgia, like, yeah, that was when yeah. I saw uh, the stat profile for Auburn when I was looking up something a couple days ago. It's I noticed uh, S&P right now has uh, Auburn by 20 with a, an 87% chance of winning. That makes me nervous as hell. Mm-mm. Uh, Texas Tech at Oklahoma State. Okay, sure. Pointy. Uh, again, not yeah. really relevant to the to the actual issue at hand. Stanford at Oregon. Let's see how far each one of them can fall. Um, this may be the referendum game on Helfrich, though. If Stanford comes out with all the problems that they've had on offense and scores, let's let's go ahead and give a Helfrich uh, Helfrich Hoke fired update. Is over under of twenty eight. 
And Stanford uh, scored points against Oregon. I think that that's that's it. They have scored 60 the last two weeks. I'll put it at like 31 or 34. And, yeah, I mean, if Helfrich is smart, if Helfrich is smart at this point, he's <laughs> he's got to pull a Mac Brown here and say, oh, oh Hoke has gone. Um, and Stanford has scored 60 points? No, they've scored 60 combined. Sorry. So they've averaged 30 the last two weeks. So I would yeah, put oh, in. Okay. I, yeah, I know they've thumped on Arizona because they have a bad defense right now. But so they, yeah, 26 to 50. I'm thinking more of. Losing ten to five against Colorado and then putting up only twenty six, twenty right. fifteen, sort of a, a gritty affair at home against Oregon State. So what I'm saying is, if they break twenty eight plus on Oregon, uh, Oregon is officially horrific. And by the way, I did see this on Twitter the other day. If Helfrich is smart, uh, if he wants to start acting like he's got a job for sure next year and start making moves in that regard, Tim DeRuiter is available now, and he's what? What? It, you know for DC. And he uh, now you never know when head coach goes back to being a DC what that'll what baggage that comes with. He was a hell of a defensive coordinator, Mm-mm. a tremendous defensive coordinator. No, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm disagreeing with that as anything that you could package up and sell. No, this is you make that move last year. Obviously, Derude are not available. But oh I'm right, he wasn't available yeah, last year. Yeah, you no, you already screwed up the DC hire. You don't, you you don't do, you won't do it again. What, well, what I'm saying is carry yourself like you get another shot and start trying to push that. Start telling your boss that, um, that you have a plan. Because that's, I mean, that's, look, the, the offense, the offense was really bad for Oregon last week, but um, that was a freshman quarterback against a peaking USC. As a whole, the offense is still top 15 in S&P, offensive S&P. Um, and, you know, your best offensive player right now might be your true freshman quarterback who's already – you know, doing pretty decent numbers and is at 13 to two touchdowns to interceptions as a, as a true freshman. Um, you play that up. Your, your hope if you're Helfrich is you play that up and then you say, screwed up last year. I've got a plan now. It might not be enough, but that's, I think that's what you do is you, you fire Hoke and you try to save your ass right now. So my wife has an event on Saturday night and I'm watching our kid and I'm going to be totally fine. You can so this is multitask Saturday night. You can pretty much absorb whatever you want while also like washing dishes or visiting with a loved one. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking, and what I'm talking about here is starting at six o'clock, LSU Arkansas. Um, really, kind of quietly referendum game on Ed because now he's got a he, none of the steam is behind him. All the emotional swing is technically against him now. So that's actually interesting to watch just from that. But again, no impact on the larger on the the larger issue at hand. You're talking about um, a sacrificial lamb in Wake Forest at Louisville, um, Minnesota, Nebraska, Ole Miss and A&M, neither of which have a quarterback, uh, Michigan and Iowa is the ABC primetime game. I mean, you can – this is bad. This is just it, – it's really forgettable. I tell you what, if you want to stay on brand as a PAPN listener, then, then check out South Florida at Memphis at, uh, at 6 p.m. on ESPNU because that's actually going to be an interesting game. Um, it's uh, – I- can you talk me into any way that USC does anything more than scare Washington for a quarter? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, for the last month, month and a half, they've played like a top 10 team. Um, Not buying it. I mean, it's in, it's in Washington, and, and we've seen Washington play absurdly well at home this year. But if they don't, if that defense, the, if that USC defense really is starting to hit that stride under, who is it? Pendergast, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not writing that one off at all. I do. I really like Washington, but they have to show up. They have so far. But this is not a game. That's your only piece of chaos, really. Right. When you're asking for chaos, the other one that we skipped over, which I think has some potential, is Pitt at Clemson. Other than that, it's pretty thin. I mean, Ohio State's not losing at Maryland. Michigan is going to murder Iowa. Um, Bama is. I, I think. Bama is hosting Mississippi State early in the morning. Um, I mean, yeah. absolutely awesome yeah. coaching job last week, but no. Yeah, no. 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 No, I, I would say I think we're, we might be underselling Clemson right now because uh, Deshaun Watson will destroy that secondary, that, Pitt, uh, that patchwork secondary that Pitt has right now. He definitely but, I think they definitely, need, they definitely need to show some life in the passing game because that's been one knock against them early on this season. Um, Oh, okay. Um, this is where we have to kind of rally around and, and prove that y'all need to watch college football. But, oh, hey, Washington State is legit good now, and they're playing Cal, and that game will last until Sunday at 6 a.m. God. Um, yeah, No. so the evening here, the evening stretch, really the whole day. <laughs> the whole day is basically you've got about 10 candidates for really fun. You just have to kind of watch the Twitters. Uh, to figure out where your remote's going to go. Meanwhile, I will spend most of my 11 o'clock kickoff time tailgating for the big Vanderbilt-Missouri game. I forgot to ask, are you coming into town for that? That's big. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, well, you know, if you change your mind. I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate the invite. I'm good. Um, all right, let's do some reader questions, and then let's get. Yep. Yeah, we'll skip box score this week because uh, we got some good reader questions. We got, we got some pretty good reader questions, yeah. And I also have to do some journalism in here in a second. So, um, all right, Bill, right. you pick first. All right, we're going to go with our friend Max, who sent us a question uh, yesterday evening, actually. Um, uh, so, uh, actually, I ju- I'm just seeing this. He just sent this to me, uh, so you have not seen it yet. Uh, I got a question for you about opponent adjustments and tipping points. A solid unit in one area can mask weaknesses in another, right? Like a really great quarter, like a really great, bleh, excuse me, a really great pass rush making up for a weak secondary or a strong running back taking pressure off his QB. If an opponent can't neutralize the solid unit, then the weak unit doesn't get tested. Uh, LSU was an example this past weekend. Uh, disclaimer, big old Bama fan here. Uh, Guys and Fournette blew up LSU's last three opponents, so it didn't matter that Atling was only throwing for about seven, eight yards uh, per pass attempt. Then Bama's D took away the run game and it all fell to pieces. Which brings us to opponent adjustments. Do they try to predict these tipping points? Consider Western Michigan. Uh, they're playing awesome, ranked fifth in offensive S&P Plus, but their toughest test was a one-point win over Northwestern's number 24 defense. Uh, what if the offense looks so fantastic because none of their opponents have reached their tipping point and a weakness is being concealed? Western Michigan is ranked 18th overall, so they'd be favored against, say, San Diego State and Temple, but those teams are ranked 10th and 14th on offense, respectively. Could they shut down one part, I assume you meant defense, could they shut down one part of Western Michigan's offense and make the whole thing collapse? Maybe that's a bad example, but I hope you get the idea. Frankly, I have no idea... Uh, how to account for tipping points, so I wouldn't be surprised if SMP just ignores them. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's taken into account by, you know, you can obviously, it, it, it takes it into account by simply kind of measuring you on both standard downs and passing downs. Okay. So, like, so the LSU example, uh, if you're really bad at passing the ball when you have to, it will show up there. Um, 
but I don't think it shows up as necessarily a tipping point because it's still looking at, you know, it's also looking at how infrequently you're on passing downs. So if you're, you're just running the ball, great. You never face passing downs anyway. It doesn't matter that you stink at it. So no, from a rating standpoint, I would say it doesn't. And, and by the way, uh, I think we've mentioned this before, but our, our, our friend Bud has pointed out, our, excuse me, colleague Bud has pointed out that um, Michigan has yet to face a particularly good quarterback. That's, that I, I don't know if that's a tipping point exactly, but it could be because we don't we don't have like an even sample of them facing really good passing games, really good run games, really bad this and that. Um, and so it's kind of an incomplete picture. Um, and it's something worth watching when they face a uh, JT Barrett. And then in these if they when if they survive that, if they face a Deshaun Watson in the semifinals, I've already decided I'm picking Clemson if it's Michigan Clemson in the semis. Wow. Um I, I just like getting my thinking out of the way early. It, it works out a lot better. Otherwise, I overthink. So, but anyway, it is an interesting thought, and, and it does – the overall S&P probably doesn't take that into account, but it's something I always try to look look to when – if I'm writing a preview about a given game is, is that kind of tipping point thing. If they can run the ball, they're going to win for sure. If they can't, though, things fall apart really quickly uh, and try to think of things in those terms. Uh, Matthew Nielsen writes, Hello, BAPN. Hello, Matthew. <laughs> Something I've never entirely figured out is why certain schools aren't able to get their football programs to a consistently competitive level when they clearly have resources in their athletic departments that have a traditional dominance of the only other important collegiate sport, men's hoops. Uh, Matthew, don't know nothing about college baseball. Uh, I'm talking specifically about schools like Kansas, UConn, NC State, Duke, Indiana, UNLV, and Kentucky. Some of these programs experience short periods of football relevance but spend most of the time in the flooded basements of their respective conferences. Is it just that they haven't had the right hires or adopted the right culture? Am I wrong that they are a resource at am I wrong and and are they at a resource disadvantage somehow? I understand that not everybody can have an awesome football team, but you'd think that these schools would find a way to turn their basketball success into a recruiting pitch and take advantage of the earned revenues and resources. Thanks. P.S. My wife is looking at an opportunity at Vanderbilt, and I may be headed to Nashville in the near future. If I make the move, I'll be sure to bring my Purdue banners and pennants for display. (laughs) They're all around me, and they're going to kill me. Um, Okay, so real fast, let's look at the examples provided. Kansas, UConn, NC State, uh, Duke, Indiana, UNLV, and Kentucky. Hey, Bill, real fast. Answer as short as you can, because I'm on a rant. What do those things have in common in terms of recruiting? Uh, Not great areas. They suck. So that's the first thing. That's Kentucky, Kentucky, as Mark Stoops has, has illustrated, is close to both the South and Ohio. Um, but in terms of sealing the borders, yeah, that doesn't work very well. They are close to both places and in neither from a lot of perspectives. Right. And in the state of Kentucky itself, the raw football talent that comes out is not enough to build out a roster. You're also competing with a program that's been way more consistent and appealing uh, because what Louisville does is cherry pick Kentucky and pair it with a lot of great Florida talent. That's one thing that Petrino and Schnelli and everybody else that's been successful at Louisville has done. Charlie Strong will tell you all about it. Um, So first off, Matt, traditional basketball school is a fluid term because the the exceptions to, to rebuke your claim I'm thinking of right off the top of my head, Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin have all been final four teams in the last decade. Florida has two national titles. Um, uh, LSU's been to a Final Four, although that was really kind of a fluke, so we'll throw them out. Texas at times, when they've had, um, oh, who's that little point guard before? This is the pre-Durant days. PJ, oh, man. TJ Ford. Uh, so they, yeah, TJ yeah, yeah. Ford, they go to the finals with him, and then obviously they had KD for a year or two. 
Oklahoma's been to the Final Fours with Blake Griffin. Uh, it is it does exist naturally. Washington is another good example. If anything, Washington's basketball was good in the periods between Washington football being relevant at all. Um, and then uh, Arizona. When I've been out to Arizona twice in my career, and both times when I talk to people, they do sort of sheepishly admit, well, it's always been an at basketball fan base first, but we still want to be good at football, and it's possible there. So most of the examples that you've listed here, the situations, I mean, UNLV is, is much more of a funding and awareness and a lot of the trappings of a G5's problem, um, so we'll throw them out, but Kentucky, Indiana, Duke, Duke's a private school. It's very hard to recruit there. They haven't won a game yet in conference play in the ACC, and they still have one of the best coaches in the league in David Cutcliffe. They found a way around that. This isn't, I feel like this, this question has a lot of different models that you could apply. You could look at like the smart school blueprint, which kind of lost some steam this year, which is one way of looking at it. But I think it has to do, one, where are your priorities? Two, where's your recruiting base? Three, what's your history? And four, if those things are all sucked behind you, how are you going to change that? Uh, none of these programs, it's not for a lack of trying. Kansas is a pretty easy explanation. They made a horrific hire that buried their asses for a couple of years, but before that, they went to an Orange Bowl. Right. So, yeah, my, I, all of those schools, well, not UNLV, they're not a power, but the, all of the power conference schools uh, mentioned there um, are can make a great hire and therefore can succeed. But... You want the odds of making a good hire uh, are are tricky, and I think basketball plays a little bit into that because there is ego in that. You think back to like when Bear when Kentucky had Bear Bryant and Adolph were up at the same time, it always chafed at, at Bryant that, that he wasn't number one. Um, and so, like, you can succeed, but it takes a great—I would say—it takes a great hire instead of a good one, or you know, or or making a good one is harder to do. So Texas, um, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Florida, off the top of my head, and Michigan—those are big schools. Yeah, I think that I think that's part of the recipe as well. To where in Kentucky, where you have the basketball culture that that you said, you know, Bryant historically kind of winced at that. You like Ohio State just has a culture of being a a, a Leviathan program. They're going to feed that every way they can. Hell, a lot of those Big Ten powers right now are trying to figure out how to get really good at baseball, just to you know, I mean. They, Whatever they're playing, that's what they're going to try and do. Right. There, it's you know, I feel like we've done a poor, we've done a great job talking about this, Matthew, but a poor job answering it. It's circumstantial at every school, but it's I, I don't think it's it's just as um, you know, it's it's not as simple as just saying they don't care because I know for a fact, having talked to some people that are involved in those schools specifically that you mentioned, they care a lot. But I do think at the end of the day, Kentucky's a great example. The biggest joke about the Music City Bowl is that it's the, it's the most expensive place for Kentucky fans to drive down just to talk about their basketball team in terms of like the whole trip and buying a bowl ticket and all that. Um, but, you know, the city of Nashville loves to have them because it's a fan base that's going to show up in Nashville at, you know, literally 50,000, 60,000 strong if they make the Music City Bowl to play yeah. at 7-5 and five or 8-4. and four. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky is, you know, they have upgraded their football facilities. They're in the process of doing more, I think, if I remember right. Um, I mean, they're trying, but it is, I mean, number one, you know, if there's any sort of hesitation from a head coach about, like, I, I would still, I would always be number two behind basketball. Um, that, that, that would bother some coaches more than others, but it's at least, it decreases your odds of being able to land the guy who can and really kick butt for you. 
and yeah, you have to go to succeed. You have to go to Ohio and beat Ohio State for at least a kid or two. You got to go to Florida. Um, you got to go. Maybe if you really want to, if you want to go to Texas, that's fine. But regardless, you have to go other places for your talent, and that that just always increases your mar- or decreases your margin for error too. So. You can succeed at those, but you have to make a great hire. Kansas, of course, has made, uh, you know, Turner Gill was a terrible hire. Charlie Weiss was a worse hire. And David Beatty now uh, was a very inexperienced hire who has to clean up a massive mess. And so even if he succeeds, it's going to take him a long time. And there's no guarantee that he'll get that much time. Probably not going to get three wins this year, and I'm not going to get my damn chicken. But um, you have to, I I really, I don't want to beat a dead horse and we'll move on to the next question, but you really have to also look at the fan apathy here because certain consumers are trained to be involved. You know, Kentucky fans spend a lot of money and a lot of of mental and and fan equity during basketball season. Are you going to ask them to travel to, you know, go to six home games, travel to two to three, spend money on a bowl, and then at the, you know, the day after Christmas, you're playing Louisville in the sold-out Yellow Arena, and then you're going and playing in Chicago and a couple of neutral site games in Jersey and New York City, and then, oh, then it's Final Four season before right. you know it. Um, <laughs> it's hard to pull that off. You need a yeah. lot of fans who want to win at a lot of stuff, and you need money. And also, look at the flip side of this, this question, too, because down here in the SEC, uh, it's the dirty little secret. As soon as football ends, this conference gets obsolete for a minute. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons they probably push baseball on us so much is how bad and how, how much lack of depth that this conference has because it's outlier programs in football like Kentucky, Missouri, and Arkansas, but less so Arkansas, obviously. They plant a flag on those schools for basketball culture because they don't get it much anywhere else. That's why they need Vanderbilt to be good this year in basketball. Um, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm really curious. The SEC has done the Big 12 overthinky thing. They, they hired, who was it, Trangese or whoever it was to – Mike Trangese. You know, yeah, they, they want to improve their basketball brand. No, you, you improve your basketball brand by making good hires and winning games. They've made some, rel- on paper, some good hires the last two years. Kind of curious how that plays out over the next couple of years. They're winning recruiting battles. You know, they're, they're, they've brought some big names in, and now it just has to work, and I'm, we'll see if it does within a couple of years. All right, one more question, yep. and then you have an announcement, and we'll get out. Yep. All right, our friend Guy, Guy Mouton, uh, three days ago. Hi, guys. Thanks for a great podcast. Thank you. Uh, recent discussion on why the Heisman sucks made me want to stand up and cheer, uh, which would have scared the other passengers on my train. Do it anyway. Yep. Uh, I have a pedantic and insignificant point slash question about the Baylor offense. I've recently noticed that there's a segment of the Ute of the Texas media and fans on Twitter that have taken to calling their offense the veer and shoot. In your opinion, do they get to apply this name to their offense? Would it, will it stick and should it? Uh, my take is that in their all-consuming hatred for Baylor, UT fans can't bring themselves to say Baylor or Bryles when referring to their offense. As a TCU alum, I hate Baylor as much as anyone, but this name really, seems really silly to me. I like it when offensive systems have easily recognizable names, e.g. air raid, pistol, wishbone, etc., but something about veer and shoot doesn't seem right. Is it the is the running game in Baylor's offense even a veer? I thought the veer was an option system that was run primarily out of a split back formation, while Baylor relies heavily on a straight ahead power running game. Uh, and heavy emphasis on the deep pass makes any echo of the old run and shoot label misleading. Since you guys have an influential podcast, uh, how about taking a shot at? coming up with your own name if we don't want to say Baylor or Bryles when referencing this offense uh, what would you think about Stephenville offense after the high school where I believe Bryles developed his offense um, yeah look Veer and Shoot like it, 
there are only so many different ways you can align guys. And so if you kind of stretch out like what was the veer, you got to stretch it out to where it's got four guys wide. Now you can kind of see how it looks like a veer in certain ways. And uh, so sure. And people have been saying for a long time, like, Oh, this nothing's new spread offense is basically the old veer. Um, that's fine. Uh, but yes, this is all about not naming their offense, the Baylor offense. Guy Mouton uh, from Naperville, Illinois. You are dead on. Uh, yeah, pretty much. That's all it is. Yes. Uh, the, the, there is a segment of the UT media that absolutely irrationally, stupidly holds things against Baylor that they shouldn't. Um, they don't want to admit that they have any connection or owe any debt to Art Bryle, so they've demonized both rightly and wrongly before and after the scandal. Right. And they did hire one of his disciples. It's flat out. that That's the truth. Now, I do think that they will modify over time what the bones of what Bryles ran at Baylor the last five years will look a little different as they go with Sterling Gilbert. I do think they will run a little bit more. But again, I hate saying that stuff because Baylor did run the ball. Like, Baylor yeah. can run the ball, and not just in that circumstance of their bowl game last year. Um, yes, as far as naming stuff goes, you know how, like, horses are named? Like, like uh, thoroughbreds in the Kentucky Derby, <laughs> where, like, you'll have a horse that's named, like, Moneymaker. And then its sire will be named, like, Pennywise. I'm just making this up. Where there's, like, an homage to the name, but it's not the same thing. That's kind of how some, like, veer and shoot, they're not, they're not actually talking about grafting the veer and the run and shoot. They're just trying to create a nickname that, that's a little bit memorable. Uh, but, no, your instincts are dead on. I do find it funny. I, I'm sure TCU fans just must stand apart from those two idiot, those two idiot cores right now and laugh. Um, and I'm a guy who likes Charlie and thinks that they're on the right path and all that. And as, as UT goes, probably to the betterment of, uh, to the betterment of that conference, but it's just fascinating to see how dumb and petty Texas can get when, when it involves Baylor. So guy, your instincts are dead on. Um, they should just call it the Baylor offense. Cause at the moment, that's what they're trying to run. Just call it the Sterling, the, the Sterling shoot. I don't care. Like the, the Gilbert, call it the Sterling Gilbert offense. You, you don't, I mean, it's, it is a, a version of the spread. Call it the spread. St- call it the Sterling spread. There you go. Um, I mean, it is a, it is basically the Baylor offense. Uh, and that's fine. It, call it, call it the Sterling spread, call it whatever you want. It, it's good. And it's going to get better. And, uh, that's really, uh, yeah, the beer and shoots. That's pretty funny actually. That's so stupid. Um, okay, before we get out of here, um, regardless of how you're feeling right now, happy, sad, confused, whatever, um, it's a good time to be charitable. And uh, we had to suspend our campaign for Democracy Prep for a little bit, uh, not because of anything bad that happened. Uh, we're actually about to make another announcement on another arm of this fundraising thing. We've got some cool merch we're going to sell alongside another SB Nation entity. That's all we can say right now. But the GoFundMe, we had to stop it at $4,017 only because we were raising money at a rate in which we got flagged on GoFundMe as being a <laughs> scam because we were just raising the money and Democracy Prep hadn't withdraw, withdrawn it yet. So all of that's been taken care of. We had to get the approval of a bunch of lawyers. We're back on. Everything's great. I've had a chance to actually go down to Democracy Prep and talk to the actual students to where the money's going. So if you, if you have donated, and a lot of you had, thank you so much. We do appreciate what you're doing. And it really is like... It's evidence of a kindness that sometimes we forget exists, and it's also um, a really cool kind of proof that what we do as a silly podcast resonates with people enough that they can hand us money when we ask for it. Um, uh, we're back. We alone on this podcast, um, for, for probably just egotistical purposes of my own, want to hit this $10,000 goal regardless of the stuff that we're about to sell. 
Um, we're at $4,017. I know a lot of you, our hardcore original listeners, have already ponied up. I'm not asking you to give again, but we are going to reopen this whole thing starting as you hear this. So you can go to the GoFundMe page. We've had it linked for a while. We'll refresh all that stuff, and we'll just start kicking ass again because that's what I believe in you guys. Now, some of you had asked about buying segments. Absolutely. But the price of the brick is up, okay? So I'm talking about $150 minimum, um, and if you want to buy more time, you can. You know, give us a bad situation that's funny, and we'll do it. So in other words, if somebody out there wants to write us a, a check, that's a don't actually write us a check. Go to GoFundMe. I don't know what to do with a check. But if you, if you want to hand us $500 and make us talk about Idaho, we'll do it. And we'll do it for 30 minutes or 60 minutes or whatever. Um, but really, you can't, I mean, challenge us. We'll do it. We'll, we'll do the freaking research if we have to. <laughs> Instead of me just relying on Bill slash shooting from the hip and repeating gossip, which is my role in this program. Um, so let's go ahead and start next week. It'll be 150 to start with just because we need to get the ball rolling again. If you have a team out there, we've done what, Bill, this year? NC State? We've done, what were the other schools? Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Um, Whatever your school is, and and I know we've had a couple people ask us, uh, I think we had an Ohio State alum that paid us just to talk about the S&P Plus system and break down some of those analytics because obviously we're going to talk about the Buckeyes. Make us say no to you. You know, try and find something cool. If you, if you guys have the reins on this thing, until we get to ten grand off of this podcast, I'm going to bother everybody about it, so just get used to it. Um, but the GoFundMe page is back open. We're back in business. Ideally, we'd have this done by the holidays and done by the bowl games to be able to cut them a check. If you want to know where your money is going, I can say this real fast because then I have to jump off. Your money is going directly to kids who are in a school right now where they're, they're all working in a set of classrooms in one hallway. And I'm going to post photos and all this stuff as soon as I can. They have no PE class. Their gym floor flooded. The gym was built way back in like the 50s and has not been taken care of. It's in East Baton Rouge Parish in Louisiana. The floor warped, obviously, in the flood. These kids, just to play a game of basketball or golf. Those are the two big things that they're playing right now. They have to go to outside facilities. So that means busing and vans and equipment. That's exactly where your money is going. So what we're talking about are kids here, and 98% of the kids at Democracy Prep are what they call free lunch, which kind of sounds like a derogatory term, but it's the actual the line in which they're determined that they can be fed as many meals. I think it's two now in the state of Louisiana, breakfast and lunch by uh, the school itself, so the free lunch program. These are kids in extreme poverty that are going to school right now against the odds. Some of them are just absolutely, some of these kids are amazing to talk to and fascinating, and all of them deserve to at least be able to go play a game of basketball. So this isn't, um, this isn't some sort of intangible idea that you're handing money to. This is literally money that is going to buy basketballs and golf clubs and nets and put gas in a van and rent a van and pay a driver to safely get these kids to a YMCA to play basketball in the afternoon instead of doing something else. It could not be more practical than that. I can't really emphasize that enough. These are kids in North Baton Rouge where things are never really good and they sure as hell haven't been great lately. So if you have the five bucks, if you want to feel better about things right now, it's a really simple, easy way to do that. Um, so as always, we appreciate you guys. Bill, I got to go. I got to go do journalism things. Um, just want to say uh, we always thank you for your time, for listening. You can follow Bill at Twitter, uh, at SBN underscore Bill C. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I need to update my work Instagram, but I, I promise I will, at 38Godfrey. Be sure to subscribe and review uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, all that stuff. Um, by the way, I'm going to start screen grabbing iTunes reviews. 
Okay? <laughs> the best iTunes review, and there have been some awesome ones lately. I see y'all. The funniest iTunes review, we're going to get you guys some legit merch. Uh, we do have a new, we have a logo that we had to postpone for a minute because of some design issues at Fox, but um, we've got a new logo and possibly a t-shirt coming in 17. I don't know what else we can give you yet, but we'll figure it out. But the funniest iTunes review is definitely going to win something. You guys are, you guys are killing it. Great sense of humor among some of y'all. So, uh, Bill, you want to come back on Sunday and talk about college football and try and ignore everything else? I do, and I'll, I will just repeat what I said at the beginning, um, that a lot of you guys seem to lean on this podcast is awesome, and uh, I'm starting to lean on you guys, too, so love you all. Roll Tide!